It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a special edition of Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman, on the day where Jacob deGrom has returned for the first time in over a year, and on the day in which all the questions we had about the trade deadline was answered, because the trade deadline is over. And unlike the past, that's it. There's no waiver day. There's no, oop, this guy may slip through. This is it. This is the roster. This is what happened. We'll start with Jake. We'll get to the trade deadline because I'm sure that's where we'll spend most of this podcast. We'll read some of your reactions to what the Mets did do and they didn't do. First off, as far as Jake was concerned, great. As long as Jacob deGrom feels well, as long as Jacob deGrom is good to start in five days on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves and considering he only threw 59 pitches, uh, there would be no reason other than injury to have to give him an extra day. He was mostly great. He comes out right out of the gate. He strikes out Victor Robles. He strikes out Luis Garcia. He gets a weak round out to shortstop. Gets a, a fairly easy second inning, helped out by Starling Marte, who makes that great throw to second on the Kiebert Ruiz base hit. He pitches a 1-2-3 third inning, though the Cesar Hernandez ball was ripped. It happened to be right at Brandon Nimmo. And then in the fourth and fifth inning, I'd say he looked human especially in the fourth when he gives up the hit to Victor Robles, who steals second, and he gives up the double to Luis Garcia. And then what we saw was a part of Jacob deGrom's brilliance. You know, I think over the last few years, we've been spoiled by his dominance, but you forget how when there are guys on base, Jacob deGrom finds a way to get through it. And there are two games that define that for me. Number one's the obvious, game five against the Dodgers in 2015. The other... I don't know if anybody remembers this one. A couple of years ago, he was coming off another injury scare, and he was making his return against the Philadelphia Phillies in Philly, and he threw 40 pitches in the first inning and somehow got through that inning. Unscathed, didn't give up a run, but he threw 40 pitches to the point where the Mets took him out. They said, all right, we're not messing around. We don't want to risk anything. But I remember watching it thinking, this guy just put on a master class of how to ball up and get out of a jam. So it's kind of one of those games in which I don't remember if the Mets won or lost. I don't remember who came in after Jake, but it was one of the many examples where he just shows balls. And that's the great thing about him. So I think what we saw in the fourth inning after he gave up the double to Luis Garcia and the Nationals took a one nothing lead was typical Jake. He was helped out by a great play by Pete Alonso, but he strikes out Nelson Cruz and he threw a circle change on 0-2, which he rarely throws to strike him out with a runner on third less than two outs in a you-gotta-strike-this-guy-out situation. And then a little bit of a scare because Kiebert Ruiz gave one a ride. He pitched a 1-2-3 fifth inning. One ball was hit hard against him. And you kind of figured after the fifth, even with a pitch count of 59, I wasn't surprised Buck said, all right, we're good. Now, what we have to understand is when the Mets offensively really fit into their whole thing with Jacob DeGrom, let's not score any runs for him, but when they couldn't hit Corey Abbott, I know the odds were stacked that the Mets were going to win this game. I think they were the biggest road favorite of any baseball team this year. But once you go to the bullpen in the sixth inning and you don't have Michael Givens, we'll get to him in a little bit, and Adam Adovino is likely unavailable, you're, you know we're going to see kind of the underbelly of this Met bullpen. So the only way the Mets are going to win this game is if, miraculously, Steven Nagosik maintains his 0.61 ERA. Spoiler alert, he didn't. 
Yoan Lopez uh, pitches brilliant. He, for the most part, didn't. And the Met offense pound the Nationals' bullpen, which I thought for a second they may do when Lindor hit the home run and they put a couple of guys on base in the seventh inning. And then, to Davey Martinez's credit, he said, hey, I'm going to use my best reliever in the seventh inning. Why not? And Kyle Finnegan sort of got lucky with that line drive by Nimmo that turned into a double play. But this kind of reeked of a loss. It felt like Max's return game. When Max returned against the Reds, he pitched really well that day. And if memory serves correct, the Mets lost that game. So, look, the Mets aren't going to win every single game. They have owned the Nationals this season. They are now 9-3 and three against the Nationals. It's very difficult to go 17-2 and two against the team like the Yankees did a few years ago against the Orioles. It sucks to lose this team, especially when they had nobody in their lineup and they traded Josh Bell and they traded Juan Soto. And you're watching, you know, Joey Manessis, a 30-year-old rookie, hit bombs of home runs. But the loss should not piss us off. It really shouldn't. Because there's nothing about this loss that's related to the trade deadline. Let's just be honest about that. It really isn't. I get it that Yoan Lopez and Steven Nagosik suck, but guess what? They're gone tomorrow. They really are. Because they acquired Michael Givens, they're activating Trevor May, and they're two guys that are leaving, and it's probably those two guys. So I'm just being fair. They didn't lose this game because of the trade deadline. They also couldn't hit this game. I mean, let's face it. You know, we could rip Nagosik and Lopez all day. The Met offense outside of a home run by Francisco Lindor in the sixth inning did nothing. One quick point about this game, strategic-wise, and then we'll get to the trade deadline. When he let Nitto hit in the seventh inning with 2-1 and nobody out, I didn't like that move. We talked about this last time on the Rico. You now have built yourself an equipped bench. Not a full bench right now because you eliminated J.D. Davis and you're adding Darren Ruff, so you didn't have him available. Instead, you called up uh, Robertson for the day. But you still had Eduardo Escobar on the bench. You still had Marcana on the bench. You're down by three runs in the seventh inning. Use your effing bullet. Use your bullet. Now, once he decides not to, I don't have an issue bunting with Tomas Nito, even though you're down by three runs, because you're basically saying, look, I'm laying down a bunt because Nito sucks. I don't trust him. He may ground into a double play. And let me get two runs, make it a one-run game. I have confidence with this Met offense, six outs to go, even if all you get in the seventh is two more, I've just cut it to a one-run game. The problem with that is you also had a bullpen that probably wasn't going to keep it at a one-run game. And obviously, Nimmo hitting a bad lucky. It's a line drive. It turns into a double play. I didn't hate the bunt. I didn't like using the bu- not using the bullet because you got bullets on this bench. So use it. Send up Eduardo Escobar trying to hit a three-run home run. Why not? You're down by three runs instead of giving Tomas Nito an at-bat to lay a bunt down. So that's my only issue with Buck. All right, let's get to the trade deadline. I'm going to let Pete Hoffman kick this off because I think Pete represents most Met fans. I think I may be in the minority today and tomorrow, and I accept that, and that's okay. It's how I honestly feel. But Pete, I, I got the impression from being around you at the newsroom at WFN that you were not pleased with this trade deadline. The floor is yours. Uh, I would say I would give this out of like an A, you know, a a letter grade, I would give it a C minus. First of all, the one thing that you and I established more than anything else, more than anything else, it didn't make a difference, needed a left-handed bullpen arm. Not even close to that. Didn't even touch it. So that's the first thing that's a strike, strikeout. You, you bring in Michael Givens, okay, fine, you get an upgrade, I guess, at bullpen arm. But again, still wasn't the guys we were looking for. Fulmer went, 
to the Twins. All these other guys are moving. Robertson goes to the Phillies. Everyone's moving around. And then offensively, I'm sorry. I, I, I respect the idea of the... Well, we did upgrade offensively. Because technically speaking, Darren Ruff is better than J.D. Davis. That Vogelbach is better than Dom Smith. That, that Taylor Nyquin uh, is better than Jankowski. Okay, but they are not significantly better where it's like, whoo, game changer. The, this is a piece to the offense that we've been looking for to really put a spark to this off to this team. Because well, the one thing that's been consistent for the past month is they offensively kind of struggled a little bit. But, but wait, here's where I differ with you. They are significantly better. I mean, all you've got to do is look at J.D. Davis's production and look at Dom Smith's production. The New York Mets production from the DH spot, using those two guys as the main guys that are playing, I don't want to count days where Pete Alonso DHs. That's ridiculous. Or the rare day Lindor DHs. If you look at what Dom Smith has done and what J.D. Davis has done, and then you take Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback, who are clearly going to play against certain pitchers. So you use Crohn's numbers, ah, Crohn's, um, uh, Ruff's numbers against lefties and Vogelbach's numbers against righties, it's not a slight improvement. It's not. It's a major improvement. Granted, they're not household names. Granted, maybe we don't love the idea of a platoon, but they are considerably better than the garbage we've seen from Dom and JD this season offensively. But see, and I don't disagree because JD Davis... And Dom Smith had a, what, a combined three home runs? Yes. Was that? That's yes. terrible. That's terrible. But that doesn't mean like, oh, well, good. Darren Ruff, who's batting, what, 213, 214, whatever it is. He's got 12 home runs. He's 37 years old. We gave away. Listen, and it's stupid to say because I don't really care about what we gave away. But when you think about it on paper, you say J.D. Davis or Darren Ruff. Okay, fine, whatever. And then you see three prospects go. J.D. Davis is younger. I think he's got like a little bit more. Yeah, control. but wait, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, why do we care about what's younger, right? We're talking about winning a championship right now. We're talking about what Darren gives the Ruff team. Darren Ruff is not winning the Mets championship. That's the problem. Darren Ruff produces an 890 OPS against lefties. What the hell did J.D. Davis produce? Darren oh, Ruff against it. lefties is at nine home runs this year. What the hell has J.D. Davis done? Like, I'm not trying to put Darren Ruff in the Hall of Fame. Trust me. I'm just saying he is a clear, clear upgrade over what the hell they've gotten from J.D. Davis, especially against left-handed pitching, who, that's who he's supposed to face. He faces lefties. That's what Darren Ruff is going to do. That's why, do us all, and I say this to every Met fan, don't give me Darren Ruff's total numbers. I don't care about what he does against righties. He's, very, he's never going to face righties. With Vogelbach and with Naquin, there are going to be rare instances. It'll happen, but rare instances in which Darren Ruff is facing right-handed pitching. So you look at his production against lefties, even though last year had a much better year than this year, his numbers are productive and considerably better than what we saw from J.D. Davis. Here's the problem, though, okay? And I, I respect that analytically you look through it and you can justify why the moves will work, technically speaking, and it should work, Okay. But then you look at like a team like the Padres. Now, the Padres went all in. They went balls deep, dude. Let's be serious. They went in. They got Hayter. They got Soto. They got Bell. They got... Uh, who else did they just grab somebody else today? Brandon Jury. Brandon Jury. They, they got everybody. And they've been getting everybody over the past few years. And the Padres are trying to say, 
We are trying to win it now. And the problem that I have, Evan, is the Mets never seem to go all in. They feel, it feels like we did enough. We should be good. This team is pretty solid. Let's see what we got. Okay, so before, because the bullpen I'm going to mostly agree with you on, so let's just stick with the bats for a second. We'll get to the bullpen and what they did do and what they didn't do. Um, Who did you want specifically the Mets to add offensively today? I cannot believe it. Maybe it's more of a Cubs thing, but how can Wilson Contreras still be on that team? How is he not gone? I think that... Okay, so a couple things about Wilson Contreras. I warmed up to Wilson a lot more over the last few days because I kind of viewed it, and I mentioned this to you last time on the Rico Bronya, that he's your right-handed platoon at DH, and he's a catcher, and so he can do both. So if you love the way Tomas Nitto handles a pitching staff or even James McCann, great. No one's saying they're never going to play anymore. Contreras is a right-handed DH who can catch, much like... You know, uh, Darren Ruff is a right-handed DH who could play first base or the outfield. Or Vogelback's a left-handed DH who could play first base. So the idea of Contreras, especially Contreras and Robertson, and we'll touch more on him in a bit because that one pissed me off and a lot of people off. I get it. Would have been a great fit. I thought the Mets and the Cubs were staring each other down. I think the Cubs were probably asking for a significant prospect return. The Mets were saying no. The Cubs were saying yes. And... I think we had a stare down, and ultimately, in the case of Contreras, no one backed down because the fact the Cubs didn't trade him, which makes it more difficult, Pete, for you and I and every other Met fan to analyze this. David Robertson was traded for somebody, and we could look at who it was and say, give me a freaking break. How come the Mets didn't beat that? That's easy. And so I think when a guy's traded, it's easier for us to digest it, see what he was traded for, and destroy it. The Chicago Cubs may have been asking for Mauricio. They may, I don't know what the hell they were asking for. And look, maybe you were willing to do that. Maybe some Met fans were. I don't know. Gun to my head, am I trading Mauricio for Wilson Contreras, who's a clear rental? That one's tougher. I'm not doing Francisco Alvarez, I can tell you that. No, I'm not doing Beatty, no, no, no. I can tell you that. But I think clearly what happened with the Cubs is that they were asking for a certain level of prospect. And not only did they not get it from the Mets, they didn't get it from anybody, hence why they kept him. Well, and then the stupid, and, and here's the thing, it, it just happened recently where they couldn't figure out the qualifying offer with the international uh, draft or whatever it was. So the qualifying offer is back again. Right. So now, so now it's for Cubs, they go, you know what, we're not really going to lose much because now we can make that offer. Worst comes worst, if he doesn't accept it, we can get a pick out of it. So it screws the, the, the trade deadline again. The qualifying offer has to go. That is one thing in, that's screwing baseball because nobody wants to, A, trade for anybody, uh, or not, that, not trade anybody, but nobody wants to sign somebody that's got a draft pick attached to it. They just don't want to do it. Right. And, and, you, never got picked. and you as a team could say, I'm driving a harder price knowing I'm getting a draft pick back. But, but look, here's the point. He wasn't traded. And, and okay. I think that when a guy gets traded, like J.D. Martinez, you wanted J.D. Martinez, right? That was our dream a few months ago. Sure, yeah. He wasn't traded. I understand. I understand. But here's the thing is, okay, just let me rewind one second because we're talking about Darren Ruff for a second. Like, he's like, okay, pinnacle, DH, right-handed bat, perfect, excellent. We already had that on the team. And I I know that maybe we, we are expecting to play every day, but Eduardo Escobar is that player. 
Maybe he needs to just platoon and be the right-handed bat. Maybe you should have tried to go and focus in on the third baseman. Well, I think... Okay, so I think Escobar is sort of becoming that at third base. What the Mets have become over the last few weeks based on performance and certainly based on their acquisitions is at third base, at DH, at left field, they're a platoon team. The San Francisco Giants did it brilliantly last year to over 100 wins. Now, they're not a complete platoon team because a guy like Pete Alonso is playing every day, Brandon Nimmo's playing every day, Starling Marte's playing every day, Francisco Lindor's playing every day, and I think mostly Jeff McNeil's going to play every day. I know there are days in which Buck doesn't play him, but for the most part, he's an everyday player. So I don't think they had enough depth to say, let's not add a right-handed bat, especially in J.D. Davis' case, who's underperformed, who we bitched about for the last year and a half, can't hit a freaking fastball.